Yeah. So um, the title of my talk today is God Means It for Good. And that is a quote from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and um, the Joseph story. When Joseph, all kinds of horrible things befall poor Joseph, and yet he triumphs. And when some of the people who were the ones that made him fall apologized, he said, you, meant it for, you may have meant it for evil, but it's okay, because God meant it for good. I learned something. I grew. I went somewhere. Things happened that couldn't have happened any other way. And that's life, y'all. Doesn't mean we always welcome the things that happen, but if we're open to growing from them, then we will always, always find more richness in life. So I'm going to start by, do you know the Joseph story? Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you. Okay. I'm going to leave out part of it because it's a really long story. <laughs> so many things happen. But let's start with Joseph was his dad's favorite from his dad's favorite wife. <laughs> he had 12 sons, but only two from his wife, Rachel. And she was his favorite wife, and Joseph was his favorite son. So much a favorite. And he was, the, he was one of the younger sons um, and uh, uh, a son of his old age in some translations, it says a son of his dotage. <laughs> so he, you know how when you're a grandmother, you have a lot more time to spend with your kids than you did when you were their actual mother. It's that kind of thing, I think. He had, he really was there um, during the, the growing of Joseph, and he didn't handle it very skillfully. He let everyone know that Joseph was his favorite, and he acted as his favorite, and he bought him a coat of many colors, or a special, long, fancy coat. His brothers were all wearing just plain old brown coats, but Joseph got the special coat. And uh, that wasn't enough to make his brothers not really like him very much. He liked to follow his brothers into the fields when they were working and come back and tattle about what they were doing wrong to their dad so they would get in trouble. So, nice coat, tattletale. And then, as if that weren't enough, Joseph had these dreams, these prophetic dreams, and he loved to share them. So one day he says to his brothers, guess what? I had this amazing dream that we were all sheaves in a field, and I, my sheep, raised up and stood upright, and all the other sheaves laid down before me to worship me. Isn't that a great dream, y'all? <laughs> you can imagine the other brothers. Little. So then he, um, he decided, he, he had another dream, and he said, ah, y'all want to hear another dream? And they, I'm sure they said no. He said, I dreamed that I was the sun and the moon, and you were all the stars around me. Yeah. So you know, they were just like, yeah, you're our favorite too. Not. One day, the dad sent Joseph's brothers to Dothan to work to uh, tend some, take the sheep to a new field to graze. And Joseph went with them. He actually didn't go with them. He just, he saw them and he was like, I want to be there. I want to be there, probably to tattle. <clears throat> but when the brothers saw him coming from a distance, they went, this is enough. Let's kill him. Yeah. It's Old Testament, y'all. <laughs> so lots of killing goes on. Let's kill him. 
And uh, the elder brother said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we kill him, we'll have blood on our hands. Let's just, um, here, there are, the, there are these empty wells around. Let's just throw him in one of those. And then, you know, we won't have blood on his hands. He'll either be okay or he won't or whatever. So Reuben, the oldest son, was in his mind, he thought, well, I'm going to, I'll go back and get him out of the well after the others are gone. But what happened in the meanwhile is they saw these uh, Ishmaelites on their way to Israel. And they thought, man, if he just dies in the well, what good does that do us? We could make some money off of him. And so they sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites to be taken to Egypt. And so Reuben goes back later to save him from the well, and he's not in there. Oops. So it's a while before they let Reuben know what's going on. They have Joseph's coat, because that's, of course, the first thing they did was rip the coat off of him. So then they killed a goat and covered the coat in blood and brought it home to dad and said, this is all that's left of Joseph. They didn't actually say what they did. And he said, is he dead? And they said, you look at the coat in the blood, I don't know what else you could think what happened. It's like they knew. It's like, I'm not going to lie. I murdered, but I'm not going to lie. What happened, though, is that um, when Joseph was sold into Egypt, he got sold into the household of a man named Potiphar, who was kind of high up in the king's council. He was an important guy. And he soon noticed that Joseph was useful. He was smart. He would help with anything he could help with. He had gifts, and he was ready to use them. Make use of me. Tell me what you need me to do. And he helped, and he helped, and he helped to the point that Potiphar said, you know what? You're a great organizer. I'm just going to put you in charge of all my stuff. And he did. He was in charge of the household. He was in charge of the other slaves. He was in charge of everything. He had great power for a slave. And then one day Potiphar's wife came and said, also, you're really good looking. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to betray my master. No, I wouldn't do that. So Potiphar's wife just told her husband that he, that he had betrayed her. And he sold Joseph to someone else. He goes to jail. Now he's in the, Pharaoh, the jail right outside of Pharaoh's house. <clears throat> and same thing. He's making himself youth, useful. What can I help with? What can I help with? Can I organize the prisoners? Can we get, you know, things working more smoothly around here? He's always trying to help. And at one point, the king's cupbearer, the one responsible for bearing the cups, <laughs> and the baker were thrown in jail. They did something, made Pharaoh really mad, and they got thrown in jail. And um, they had dreams. And they were talking about their dreams one night. The baker said, um, I dreamed, let's see. Um, the baker said, I dreamed. I'm going to remember this dream, y'all. Okay, let's start with the, with the cupbearer. He dreamed that there was a vine with three branches. And then he saw those vines grow into grapes. And then he saw the grapes being squeezed into a big cup. And Joseph said, well, that's easy. That means that in three days, um, you will be restored to the household and you will again be the cupbearer to the king. Cool. And three days later, that's exactly what happened. And then and he said, hey, when you go to the king, tell him 
I got skills. <laughs> and the cupbearer promptly forgot. But then the baker said, I had a dream. And my dream was that there were all of these, there were three baskets and there was bread. And I kept trying to put bread into the baskets. But each time I put bread to the into the baskets, they, they went away. And Joseph said, oh, well, that's easy. Joseph is very um, diplomatic. That's easy. In three days, you're going to be killed. You're going to find your head on a spike. Sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh brought him back into the household and put his head on a spike. Yes, this is the Hebrew Bible where God was a lot meaner than God is now. You can see how man created God in his image, right? Man is jealous, so we say God is jealous. Man does bad things when we're angry, so if a bad thing happens, it must be because God is angry. That's the way, that's just how all civilizations ever figured out. I mean, the Greeks are, I mean, you look at anybody's mythology, it's horrible. And it's, it's not, it's instructive. It's only horrible if you believe that it's factually true. <laughs> that gets really scary. So, at some point, the Pharaoh keeps, keeps having the same dream over and over and over again, and he goes to all his people and he says, I, do, you know how to, do you know anybody who interprets dreams? He keeps telling this dream, this dream that um, there were seven fat cows that came out of the Nile, and then there were seven thin cows, and the thin cows ate the fat cows. And then there were seven ears of grain and healthy, whole, beautiful grain. And then there were these like dried out stalks of grain and the dried out stalks ate the healthy stalks. And so um, he couldn't find anybody to interpret it. And he asked and he asked and then the cupbearer went, oops, I was supposed to tell you this a couple years ago, but there's this guy who's really good at interpreting dreams. When he interpreted mine, it came true. And when he interpreted the baker's, it came true. I mean, it was exactly as he interpreted. So Pharaoh calls him in. He interprets the dream. He says, here's, what's, here's what the dream means. It means that for seven years, you're going to have plenty. There's going to be lots and lots of food. You're going to have big, plentiful harvests. And then seven years after that, there's going to be horrible famine across the whole land. And so the Pharaoh said, so what do we do about that? He said, well, obviously you need somebody who can organize getting all of the grain in and stored during the years of plenty so that it can last you through the years of famine. And they decided to put Joseph in charge of that. And he, he got people in, in each region to store up the grain. He had, it's all, it was all very organized, right? And so when famine fell, Egypt didn't starve. And it didn't only happen in Egypt, that famine was all across the countryside. And so other people started coming to Egypt because it was the only place they knew of where you could actually buy food. And so at some point, Joseph's dad and, and his brothers are starving. They have lots of gold, but you can't eat gold. They have honey and wine, but that's not enough to live on. And they hear the rumor that there's grain in Egypt. So he's going to send the brothers down to Egypt. He sends the 10 oldest brothers and he keeps Benjamin behind. Benjamin is Joseph's brother who from his favorite wife, Rachel. Now Benjamin is the favorite. So the other 10 brothers go to Egypt and they go before Pharaoh and they say, um, 
we need, we need food. We've brought money. We've brought goods. We just, we need some food for our family. And sitting next to Pharaoh was Joseph. They didn't recognize him because he was all grown up and in robes and probably not of many colors. But he, uh, he said to them, no, I think you're spies. I don't know what you're here for, but it's not just to get food. And they said, you know, we swear, we swear, on, we swear on our father's life. We swear on anything. You know, we just came. And he starts asking them questions. So where do you come from? How many brothers are you? They said, well, 12, but one's gone and one stayed with dad. He's like, oh, okay, one's gone. Hmm. And the other one stayed with dad. How do I even know this is true? If you will... I'm going to give you some grain, and if you will go back to your father's house and, and um, bring one of you, go back to your father's house and bring the other brother while I hold the nine of you in prison, then I will understand that you're telling the truth, and then you're free to go, and you can go in and out of Egypt anytime you want to. He keeps him in jail for three days. And then he comes back and he says, I tell you what, one of you can stay in jail, and the rest of you can go get the other brother and bring him back. So that's what happens. Lots of other stuff happens. The father cries, the father says no, blah, 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 blah. But eventually they bring back Benjamin with them. One of the things that happens though is that Pharaoh or Joseph has somebody put the money that they paid for the grain with back into their sacks. So when they got home to dad, they start unloading the grain and they were like, Here's the money. Oh, crap. You know, if they catch us, they're going to think we didn't pay. If we, can we go back? We have all this money. And the dad said, you're going to go back, take twice the money and more gifts and tell them you didn't mean to steal and you don't know how it happened and, and we'll hope it's all going to be okay. And he, they take Benjamin with him. And that's what happens. He gives them more grain. They give them all the gifts and money. As they are leaving with all of the brothers, Joseph has his people put the money again back into their um, saddles. And then he says, um, I want one golden chalice. I need you to put it in the saddle of this particular brother, Benjamin. And as soon as they get on their way, he sends his police out. Right? Oh, it's getting bad, huh? to say, someone's stolen the golden chalice. And they're like, n n n search us. We didn't. There's the, I mean, they were confident, you know, search us. We don't care. And they found it. Of course, they swore up and down. They didn't do it. All of them came back. Benjamin was about to be punished. And interestingly enough, while all this was happening, the brothers were going, man, this is probably because we killed Joseph. <laughs> karma, karma, man. It's come on us. But Joseph weeps when he sees them, when, he comes, when they come before him. He said, don't you know who I am? And eventually they understand that he's Joseph, and they bow down <laughs> and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You had no reason to do this, but you did it anyway, and we're bad, and we're wrong, and we'll make it up to you for the rest of our lives. And Joseph basically says, there's nothing to forgive. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's no way I would have dominion over all this. I'd be watching a sheep up there in Canaan, in Canaan if it hadn't been for all of the stuff that you did, not sitting on the right hand of Pharaoh with all of these riches and all of this power. So he took them in, he fed them, he clothed them. 
he told them to go back and tell their dad that he was alive. And he set them up for life, basically. He said, um, you, he gave them all this livestock and land and said, if you give 20% of that back, the rest of it's yours to keep for forever. It's not just that Joseph wouldn't have risen to power. It's that Egypt and Canaan and all the lands around might have died of famine. Right? He would have died of famine. His brothers would have died and dad would have died of famine. None of them would have known what to do. So we don't always know why stuff happens. And we may not know why in this lifetime. I'm not going to tell you that once you get past a certain ill thing that happens in your life, you're going to get it. There's going to be a bow on it that goes, oh, that's why that happened. Okay, now I know. But I am going to tell you that at every moment in your life, you have a choice. When stuff happens that seems bad, you can call it your teacher. You can choose to continue to give your gifts and rise above it. Or you can lay down and die or give up or spend your life in anger and bitterness. If Joseph had just decided to be bitter, none of that would have come about either. When he was in jail, he said, how can I be useful? You know, the other thing that happened, Joseph got some humility because <laughs> he needed it. You know, Joseph wasn't a perfect guy. He was kind of a jackass. He needed some humility and he got some humility. The brothers needed to feel the weight of their guilt. And then they were freed from that guilt when they realized that he hadn't, that he hadn't actually died and that he had forgiven them. All of these things happened. I mean, except for the baker <laughs> with his head on a spike. That wasn't Joseph's fault. Everybody comes out pretty good in this, right? So we don't know. You never know. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've gone, okay, it's all over now. <laughs> that was it. So we're, that, was the last, that was the last thing I knew to do. That was the last house on the block. There's nowhere else to go. And then something in me, something in someone I love has said, no, 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 whatever it is, we're not stopping. We're going to keep going. We're going to step forward. We don't know how, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to call for help. We're going to ask God. We're going to ask our neighbors. We're going to do something. And when we make that choice to not choose that it's all over, to not choose anger, to not choose bitterness, to not choose giving up, then good things always happen. Good things always happen. Now, I'm not saying you go, well, I'm glad I lost this person. He's dead now because good things are happening in my life. No, 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 no. Loss is loss and it hurts. And when you don't die with your beloved, have you ever known anybody who physically stayed alive but died with their beloved? I have. A lot of times physically it follows too. But saying, you know, I'm alive. I'm alive, and so what do I do now? Then good always comes of it. Always, always, always. I'm going to read you another quote from Pema Chodron from her book, um, uh, The Places That Scare You. It's hard to know whether to laugh or cry at the human predicament. Here we are with so much wisdom and tenderness 
And without even knowing it, we cover it over to protect ourselves from insecurity. Although we have the potential to experience the freedom of a butterfly, we mysteriously prefer the small and fearful cocoon of ego. Course in Miracles says this. This is a, a beautiful practice when life nails you in whatever way. Above all else, I want to see this differently. Help me see this differently. I want to not see it in black and white. I, not, I want to not see it in grayscale. I want to not see it as there is no choice. Help me see it differently. You make a commitment to withdraw your preconceived ideas about a thing, right? Rather than going, I'm in jail. It's all over now. Okay, I'm in jail. What can I do in jail? How can I flourish in jail? If this is going to be my life, I need to find a life that works for me in jail. Not defining your life in past terms. Because if you go, I'll never get to tend the sheep again. I'll never see my father again. My coat is gone. I'll never have anything pretty to wear again. You know, you can do all that. Or you can say, okay, this is life now. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I asked for. It's not what I bargained for. But how can I make good out of it? Then I, I believe and I have seen over and over again that when you make the choice to try to see the good in it, the universe rushes in and shows you where the good is. You will be shown, but you won't be shown if you're not looking for it, if you can't look up from your bitterness. And so one last lesson from Pema Chodron. She says, when you get hot, take a moment to feel the heat rather than quickly turning the air conditioner down. What does it feel like? Is it going to kill you? It's not going to kill you. doesn't mean it's not okay to get yourself comfortable, but take a moment to feel what the heat feels like because there's going to be heat in life you can't do anything about. So you might as well get yourself to understand. When you're hungry, instead of stuffing something in your mouth right away, take a moment to feel what it feels like to be hungry. Feel what it feels like to be where you are at any given time of the day. That's what your life is your teacher means. We're always living in the future or comparing ourselves to the past. But when we can say, here's, what is, here's what's happening today. What do I do with this? And I'll share you something personal. <clears throat> I have um, had clinical depression probably my whole life. I wasn't diagnosed until my early 30s. But um, it's difficult when you're depressed. It's not sad when people say, you know, what are you depressed about? Well, if you're depressed about something, that's being sad about something. But depression is when there's just this gray cloud and it's not about what's happening. It's, it's only about what's happening inside. And it can be crippling. And I learned a long time ago, if I wake up in the morning and can't get myself out of bed because of the depression, here's what I do. I say, okay, God, I got nothing. <laughs> but I'm willing so you're going to have to give it to me. You're going to have to give me the energy. I'm powerless over this, but I believe that you have power over it, and I'm going to allow you to use your power. And then I pay attention to what happens. If I still can't get out of bed, then I go, okay, this is the day I'm supposed to lay in bed. And I give myself some grace for that. 
And if I find, which I do 90% of the time, that I suddenly get, oh, you know, I could do this. I could at least do this. No, I could do that. And then I start to move through my day and find some joy in it. But it doesn't happen when I'm resisting it. It happens when I give up and make a choice to ask higher power for help, to understand that this is my lot, but I don't have to see it as the end of the world. I don't have to fight against it. So that's just a small example of what you might face at times in your day and how you can turn it around simply by learning to see it more clearly and asking spirit for help. And it doesn't matter what you call spirit, the power of love, your higher self, God in heaven, God on earth, whatever. There is a higher energy than just our little selves. And when we call on it, then we get to use it for good for ourselves and for others. So first you got to see, then you can see clearly. Then you can see differently. And then... It's all for good, really. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's just take those ideas into meditation for a moment. Just make yourself comfortable. And ask yourself, Okay, what's going on with me right now? How am I self? Perhaps you might put your hand over your heart and just as you gently breathe, not trying to make anything happen, just ask the question, How am I doing? And see what arises. And anything that arises that doesn't feel wonderful, whether it be a feeling of guilt or sadness or grief, anger, or resentment, or exhaustion, or pain, I invite you just for a moment to just allow that feeling to be. Yep, this is what is here right now. you've sat with that feeling for just a moment, I invite you to ask to see it differently. Let go of what I think about it and say, I'm open to new information about this. asking for new information. 
and pay attention to what comes up. Maybe some idea of what that new information comes up right now, or maybe you've planted a seed that will bloom later. But the moment we make a choice to become willing to see it differently, I promise you we will be given the eyes to see it differently. see it differently we think about it differently when our thoughts change we speak different words than we would otherwise about the situation and when we change our thoughts and our speech then our actions will follow we will be given guidance what's the next thing to do so we do that thing. No matter what is happening here, the God in you can use it for your good. All you have to do is choose. anytime, anywhere. I recommend you do it when you start to feel the weight. You know that weight on your shoulders or your head or the feeling that there's a rain cloud that follows just you around. Take a moment. Say, how you doing? Feel it. Ask if there's a different way to see it. Be willing to see it differently. Open yourself. Choose to make good come. And it will because that's the way it works. But if you don't try it, you'll never know for sure. So in this moment, we just allow whatever is to be with gratitude and bring ourselves back into the room. And so it is.